Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants, it's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Ben Smith. He is a fitness and nutrition coach, an entrepreneur, an army veteran, and a mental health advocate based out of Los Angeles. He has a pretty big following on Instagram where he's always doing breath work and cold plunges and working out and really showing this healthy, healthy lifestyle that he lives. But for Ben, it wasn't always that way. After he got out of the military, he really experienced some deep dark bouts of depression. He thought he was just going to be able to reintegrate into society and he was going to land this big job that was going to pay really well, all because of the service that he has performed. And he found that in the workforce, they actually really didn't care about his time in the service, even though he was a platoon leader. And he realized that he may have actually been more of a liability because Some of these tech jobs are thinking more along the lines of potentially him having PTSD, him maybe having erratic behavior because he served overseas in the war. 
So we also get into a little bit of his childhood trauma. We get into both of his attempts at suicide when he was at his deepest, darkest moments and how he came out of that. We get into his eating disorder and all the tools that helped him bring him back to the person that he shows up as online. And that will be different topics such as psychedelics, uh, a lot of therapy, you know, obviously the working out, the heat, the cold, all things that I like to talk about on my show. So sit back and relax and enjoy the show with Ben Smith. Ben, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, to dive into this today. Yeah, I've been excited. We were supposed to record this, like I think, a few months back, and you had to reschedule. And I I think that this topic that we're speaking about is something I've been diving into a lot recently with a good buddy of mine, and I think it's important. And there's not enough people speaking about the type of like trauma and the PTSD and things that I've heard you open up about on other podcasts. So I think we're going to have an important discussion today for sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'll be an open book and, and <laughs> share everything. Awesome. So I guess um, tell us kind of like what childhood looked like for you and then how you even decided on enrolling in the service in the first place. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm from... A, a small town in central Indiana. It's called Noblesville, Indiana. Um, and, you know, I grew up in the idyllic Midwestern home, you know, mom, dad, everybody's around white picket fence style thing. You know, I had everything that I could possibly need. Like there was no wanting, uh, you know, for material possessions or experiences or anything like that. Um, but I think, you know, stepping back now as an adult, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, never had the emotional support, uh, that I, that I didn't even know I needed. Um, and so I put a lot of my identity into like being the good kid or being like the class president or like for me, the, the athlete, I was, you know, gifted in in athletics and I tied my identity to that. And then, um, I rode that all the way through, through high school and, uh, you know, leaving high school, I, I was like, what is the next thing that I can do? And I was looking at playing sports in college and getting recruited to play different, you know, sports. And I learned about this place called West Point, which is like the United States Military Academy. And I had a mentor, one of my coaches. I was like, yo, could I do this? Like, could this be a thing that I would be good at? And like, he knew what he was doing. He was like, no, you have no chance. Like, <laughs> don't even try. And like, I joke, everything I've ever done that's been worthwhile has been because somebody's told me that I can't do it. And so I was like, oh, well, fuck you, dude. I'm going to like go do that. And so I went, you know, went to school and then graduated, commissioned as an officer and then spent, you know, almost seven years uh, active duty in the military. And I didn't even realize it, but I like didn't have my own identity. I was like an athlete as a kid. I was a, I was a soldier as a young adult and then ended up exiting and we can get deeper into this, but I ended up exiting and I had like this massive identity crisis where I lost the fulfillment of my profession. I lost a relationship. I lost my income. I lost all these things. And I'm living in like the most expensive city in the world. And I'm like, holy fuck, what am I supposed to do? And I'd never had to like address my emotions. I'd never had to like, even like check in and, and be able to articulate how I'm feeling. Um, and so basically as a 28 year old guy, I'm like trying to sort out how to, to be a human in the civilian world. And it was just a very interesting thing for me. So to answer your question, uh, a guy that I respected a lot told me that I wouldn't be able to succeed in the military. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to dedicate my life to proving you wrong. And uh, so that's how I got into the army. And uh, that is truthfully the reason why I was successful. It was always in the back of my head. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. You hear that quite a bit with successful people, like someone tells them that they can't do something and then they want to prove them wrong. And yeah, that can be good, but it could maybe drive you a little too too crazy and too hard and doing too much a little bit sometimes. But so yeah. did you end up like going over to war while you were in the military? And Yeah, so I, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2014. So I was deployed for about 10 months in 2014 to middle 2015. Um, my, my work was, um, I was an artillery officer, so I did, uh, like air to ground communication. So I was the guy on the ground communicating with aircraft, uh, and kind of like just organizing, uh, you know, things in the air. Um, and you know what, it was a really cool experience. It was an opportunity to actually do my job, which like a lot of people who are in the service now, uh, don't really get the opportunity to do. So it was like, I used to always liken it to like an Olympic athlete. It's like you prep for four years. And you actually get to go and do the Olympics. That's pretty sick. If you don't get to go, then it's like, oh my god, I just did all this work for for like no climax, which is like, you know, I think the less optimal version of of being in the service. I know people have different opinions, um, but I was very excited to again like go prove myself and go, uh, you know, like lead soldiers. That was a cool thing. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was an experience and, uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. My, my closest friend is, uh, a guy that I deployed with and he is still my best friend, you know, 10, 10 years later. And so we live on opposite sides of the country and we text all day, every day for like the last 10 years, which is just really cool. Yeah. I'd imagine the, the brotherhood that forms within an experience like that is, you know, unattainable sometimes probably within just regular society because there's just like a bomb there and you guys are just over there just ride it ride or die literally like it's like we're in this yeah. thing together so it's yeah i think the, that bomb. the gravity of the situation like provides uh you know a level of connection that you might not get in a regular job uh but you know it's it's funny because now looking back i'm like oh yeah that was just like a microcosm of my life up until that, like it was like sports and then it was, you know, more sports. And then it was the army, which is just like sports on steroids. And then it's deployment, which is just like the Super Bowl. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just this team environment. I've been built and brought up in this team environment. And like, you know, now as a coach, my work is basically team building. And so, um, you know, I'm again, very grateful for that experience, very grateful for the friendships I've made. And also very grateful that I get to now leverage that experience into, the work, like the valuable work that I do now. Yeah, that's amazing. So once you got out, was yeah. the PTSD revolved around what you actually experienced as far as the deployment or was it kind of that identity crisis? Like the team was no longer there. Now I'm solo. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on a solo mission now, right? Like yeah. re reintegrating, getting a job. Like it, was it more so that or was it the experience of the war? Yeah, it was it was not wartime experience for me for the most part. Uh, I was an artillery officer, so anything that I did for the for the most part was from a distance, a great distance. And so there's a different uh, response, I think, for most people uh, than having to be like in direct combat, like face to face with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's that aspect, but then also um, a majority of my PTSD comes from my relationship with my mother and my earliest caregivers, which is a thing I didn't even know. Uh, existed. <laughs> I thought post-traumatic stress had to come from like a capital T trauma. Um, and now I know that that is not always the case. And so um, a lot, what I've learned now in five years of extensive therapy is that 
uh, a majority of my PTSD or CPSD uh, PTSD symptoms are a function of my relationship with my mother and my father uh, and my earliest caregivers, you know, feelings of, of emotional neglect or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then for me, you know, um, I'm sure you've experienced in this, this in your life, but as a high performer, as somebody who's really good at your job, you think that that will transfer into other parts of your life. And so I left the army being an, a really high performer. I ended my career because I, I sustained an injury and it like changed my entire perspective. I injured my back and I was like, holy shit, I'm 26 and I'm like really not okay physically. And this is the first time in my life where like my physical aptitude was called into question, you know, being this like my identity was the athlete. I was the guy who was in the best shape of anybody that I knew. And I like, tied my self-worth to that and for the first time ever i was like really injured and i was like holy shit like i can't i can't go through this again and so it really like changed my perspective about about needing to stay in and so the process took about two years i ended up like taking command and doing a bunch of other jobs um then left as a 28 year old and I was like, oh yeah, no, it'll be no big deal. I'll go out and everyone will appreciate the work that I've done in the army. They'll appreciate me as a person. They'll see how good I am at that job. So they'll be like, of course, come join our company. Oh, you're big and strong too. We fucking love you, dude. And uh, I, I realized very quickly that that was not the case. Nobody gave a fuck about anything that I had done. Uh, I think they also saw it potentially as a detriment. Uh I think like I was trying to work in a specific industry um, and that's like tech. And I, and I just, my perception of the experience was that people looked down upon me because of my experience up until that point. And it's like, why would they hire a 28 year old who's potentially damaged goods when they could hire somebody just straight out of school? Who's got this like, you know, momentum from graduating with a degree or like, or like whatever it is. Um, and so it was all of those factors. I, I left a relationship, a, a long-term relationship that I thought would last forever. I moved across the country. I was living in, in Santa Monica, which at the time was like one of the top three most expensive places in America. Uh, it was just, dude, it was just all of the things like health, wealth, happiness, all of them were just tanking. And then I was in despair is how I would describe it. Uh, and then so like, ultimately I tried to take my own life. Um, multiple times and i was like this one this isn't working like what the fuck is going on and luckily i was living with a guy who was also a former service member former nfl athlete uh and now like public speaker and life coach and he was like you're going to therapy dude <laughs> he was like you're you're fucking going to therapy and he like drove me to my first therapy session and was like get out of the car go into the house and like do the work. And I was like, I don't even know what the work means. I was like so naive and so ignorant to all this stuff. Um, I saw therapy as like a, a, a negative. I remember as a kid one time, my father looked at me and he was like, if you don't get this sorted out, you're going to have to go to therapy. And he was like talking about me in a, in a, in a toxic relationship. Uh, and he was like, if you don't sort this thing out, you'll have to go to therapy. And like, what do we do then? You know, like, see, like it was, it was like the, the worst possible scenario. And, uh, and now I look at that and I'm like, therapy saved my life along with a whole bunch of other things that we'll get into. Um, mm -hmm. but therapy, getting into that first therapy session with somebody that actually, like I could really tell cared about me and my circumstances was the most incredible thing. Cause I think it was the first time ever in my life I'd actually felt that. 
Yeah. So I want to circle. That was a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna there's a lot of avenues I could go right there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a little bit and ask you about kind of so you got out of the service, yeah, feel appreciated the way you thought that you would. And so then how long is does the cycle of kind of depression? Is there substance abuse in there somewhere? How yeah. long is that period leading up until where you decided to commit suicide? Yeah, so I was an alcoholic when I was in the army. Um, this like this started as a child. Um, I used food to numb, so I had binge eating disorder as a young kid. I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't even know what my emotions were. But I, when I felt neglect or anxiety or whatever those feelings are as a young child, I turned to food. So I would binge eat as a kid, and then in my teenage years, I was anorexic which is a crazy thing for a young boy to go through. But I figured out what girls were and I'm, I'll get to the question that you asked, but Mm -hmm. figured out what girls were. And I was like, Oh shit, they don't like the chubby kid. I should lose a bunch of weight. And so I basically went on a hunger strike from 15 to 17 and a half, lost all this weight, was horribly unhealthy and then found fitness. Like really I'd been an athlete, but found fitness uh, in a structured context under the tutelage of a, a tenured coach and a, a really great guy named Bill Hartman uh, in Indianapolis. And, and I, I learned how to train the right way. I learned how to eat the right way. I learned how to do all these things. Then I kind of staved off, uh, you know, what, what I had been experiencing as disordered eating. I joined the military and I'm like, holy shit, I'm more stressed out than I've ever been. Food, where come back to me. And so I developed binge eating disorder again. This time, uh, I start purging, and so binge eating disorder turns into bulimia. So as like a 19-year-old kid, I, I start you know actively being bulimic. Um, the thing about bulimia is weird is that you can look really great and be bulimic. You can like look physically, aesthetically really nice and be bulimic, and so I was able to hide it pretty well. Um, but then I, I started drinking, and... I was able to numb in a different way. Uh, and so, you know, social anxieties were able to be cured by a couple of drinks and then a couple of drinks turned into a lot of drinks and a lot of drinks ultimately turned into other substance abuse. Um, and so I tried for a long time. What's really funny about the alcoholism is I'd never, uh, and this is, I've gotten to this place in therapy, but it's like, I was never excited. I was never happy after the first drink. It's like the excitement or the dopamine hit from from what might happen while drinking was the thing that I craved the most or like what relief I might get from drinking. Um, and then as soon as I drank, I would I experienced disappointment, sadness, and I would drink myself into a place where I wasn't able to even like acknowledge that. So I would drink to blackout every time I consumed alcohol, which is like a, a rough thing to do and to be effective in your life. And so I get out of the army and uh, I had been, I saw the writing on the wall. I had been trying hard to not consume any alcohol in any capacity. Uh, and then, you know, you fall back into old patterns. And so I develop more disordered eating like tendencies during this time period. So I exit the army in the, in like the fall, early fall of 2018. Uh, I'll call it bulimia, but I'm like going through a bulimic episode. I'm drinking a whole bunch. Uh, and then I'm in so much pain. I said despair earlier, but I'm in so much like emotional duress and I don't know how to deal. I don't even know what's happening. And I, and I, you know, end up deciding to take a bunch of pills and, and try and kill myself. And I, I, you know, being bulimic, I'm pretty good at, 
at purging. And so have a moment of clarity as soon as, um, as soon as I ingest like way more drugs than I should ever consume. And I, and I purge and I have this moment where I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And, uh, that was the first time I'd ever thought about anybody but myself, which is also an interesting thing that I've had to work through. Uh, as I, you know, transition out of that period of my life, it's like, I was so selfish. And I think I said this on that other podcast that you listened mm-hmm. to, but it's like, you know, suicide isn't a selfish act. You know, I, I would hate to like label somebody. I don't ever want to like characterize another person's experience in that way. But like, for me specifically, I didn't think of another person. I didn't think of another human until after I'd already attempted the first time, <laughs> which is crazy to me to think about. Because like my entire life has been this one massive act of service or on the outside, it's like presented as this one massive act of service. Um, but I was so fucking selfish and I was just in so much pain that I just didn't want to experience that anymore. It's not even that I didn't want to live. It's just like, I didn't want to be feeling the things I was feeling. Um, and so then I had a bit of like a, a break and there were some other things that happened, a, a break from alcohol, a break from any drug use, a break from, from eating disorder stuff. I had a really nice support system in my home. Um, that guy I was talking about, his name's Caleb Campbell. He's fantastic. Um, you should check him out on social media, but, uh, but, and then a a thing happened professionally where I ended up losing the one job that hired me. And, uh, I attempted to try to get a job as a coach. So I had been coaching on the side for about 10 years. I'd been running fitness businesses, like as a passion project while in the service i was a coach in college uh and then and then i built an online coaching business as i moved to los angeles and tried to find other work and uh so a departure from my only source of employment and then a a pretty large scale like relationship failure uh professionally caused me to be in a position where i was like i it's over like this is done and so i attempted again in early 2019 and uh same result this time i ended up going to sleep and then waking up the next morning which like is a crazy thing you know falling asleep thinking that you'll never wake up again is an interesting thing to to experience and then actually waking up the next morning uh was wild and so five days later i went to therapy for the first time and my life has never been the same (laughs) but yes uh drug and alcohol use was the driver of all of this like any drastic thing i've ever done has has included alcohol yeah i i think that it the effects on the brain they're very calming in the moment and but they're you know the extended use i realized this with my 10 years of alcoholism or longer where it just starts to just the depression just grows and grows and grows and then you're into other substances and your sleep's fucked up and you just your relationships are only with people who are on other substances and drunks as well and it's just like the whole thing just gets dark and i never really had much suicidal thoughts except for when i had lyme disease i would get so depressed and i'd be so tired that there were like thoughts of just like how do how am i even going to make it through the day i I should should just give up you know because i was just literally had no energy and no i had such severe brain fog and yeah kind of like you as like i was stripped away of my ability i always worked out even when i was drinking all the time i'd work out you're probably familiar with that like just burning the candle at both ends like work out in the morning get wasted at night do drugs wake back up work out like i was just was an insane person 
Yes. And then once I got the lime and it was super sick, like I, I couldn't work out. I would just, I would feel so much more tired after I would yeah. go to the gym. So now this thing that always like made me feel like I accomplished something was stripped away from me. And, and it, yeah. it was just very depressing. And I had the, for, for the first time ever, experience like what anxiety and depression really was like I used to just yeah. like, kind of make fun of people like just go to the gym or just like you know just suck right. it up type of thing and now I have this completely different outlook on somebody who's actually has a chronic you know depressive episodes or has attempted suicide because I I was really in that dark place for for a lot of years and it's insane but I want to kind of like how do you think we can get people Cause I feel as if like men of service probably yeah. have some of the most armor up of anybody, you know, we've, we've created them that way, right? You're not going to be this kind of like airy fairy kind of right. tapped into your feminine type of guy. And we're going to send you over to combat. That's just not the type of characters that we're creating in that, in the right. atmosphere. So how could we get people who are feeling the way that you're feeling to actually reach out for help? Like what, what's the solution? Yeah, I think it's just starting the conversation. Like what we're doing here is incredibly valuable. Um, and I know like at a, you know, governmental level or whatever, it's challenging to like implement new stuff like that. Like, you know, for as long as the armies existed, like they're breeding a certain style of man, which like I'm not going to, you know, deny is probably a really valuable thing for the type of work that they do. Like as a, as a platoon leader, as a platoon leader, there probably isn't a scenario in a combat situation where I need to be like, yo, I'm fucking tired and sad and upset. <laughs> it's like, I'm the beacon or like that squad leader, right? Like the lower level leadership, like they are the guidepost for those young soldiers that need to do a thing that is inherently scary. But I think that there's a way to educate people around um, – it's like a synergistic effect. Like we, we've talked about a couple different things, and I'm sure we'll get into it more. But it's like the therapy wasn't the thing that saved me. It was the therapy and the blood, breath work and the cold exposure and the sauna and the, and the psychedelics and the support system. It was all the things. And so I think, you know, and I think the army is, is transitioning in this direction, but like, and I'm going to butcher what they talk about, but like a holistic leadership model where it's like, you know, there are instances where being this hard charging, like monster is appropriate, but there are also times when being an empathetic, caring, like beacon of, of hope versus like whatever the other one is, like that is also valuable. And I, and I see it like like I'll just use my, my experience, for example, like in my unit, like we were a little family and like, you know, myself and, and the people that I worked with, we cared deeply about each other. And it's like, that permeates the organization. And so I think it's like on that lowest level leader to like understand that they might not get the example from somewhere else, but they can like, you know, leverage this type of, of podcast. So they can leverage, you know, information that's coming out from outside of the organization that can open up doors and like, open up possibility for them to like be a more well-rounded leader or a more well-rounded man or like a more well-rounded whatever it is that they're trying to become. Um, I think you lead by example. And so like for me as a coach or me now in my work, it's like I could be the cheerleader guy at the front of the room, like screaming and whatever. But like, that's not how I coach. I coach from like a very calm, grounded, like 
safe place. And like, I think it's by me being that person, the guy that I, I really wasn't that guy in the army, but me being that guy, I'm able to implement or at least show that that's a way to be to the people that I work with. And like, hopefully they take some of that with them into their lives. And then it's just like this ripple effect and it grows and grows and grows. I think there's a lot of like really good examples out there and there's a lot of really bad examples out there. And it's just like just being discerning and choosing what to follow and what not to follow. But like from like a strategic or from like a higher level, like how do we implement this in the army? I'm not sure because I was told that seeking counsel or like going to therapy was going to be a black mark on my career. And so I didn't do it. Right. So it seems as if like potentially like once soldiers go to combat and maybe they know that they're, they're nearing like exiting and I'm sure they don't always know they're going to exit. Sometimes they probably just sporadically do it, but it seems like there could be like some form of program where it's like, Hey, like we've built you into kind of like a machine, you know, like we, we've, we've shut yeah. you down and built you back up into this machine, but now you're going to have to go back where you're going to have to hold relationships. You may, you may or may not have kids already and you need to be a better yeah. father. And so it's yeah. like this, this was needed for a time period, but now we need to, I don't know what the reintegration would look like as far as like, but like kind of just getting their gears turning a little sure. bit would probably even help. Like, listen, sure. now you need to be a father. Now you need to perform in a normal work setting. Now you need to go out to the grocery yeah. store and just interact with people on a, on a, you know, not, not a like sergeant style, like military. Yeah. I think there's level. There's like domains, right, to your life. Like we could say like professional or like spiritual or like relational or whatever it is. There's domains, right? And the major focus that I noticed as I exited the army and I left, you know, like almost six years ago, but the focus was was almost exclusively professional. Like how are you going to find employment after you leave here? Like what's, how are you going to make money? Like what is that going to look like for you? What's your next career? And that was the focus. And I understand that like, that is like a huge thing. And probably like, if you're really going to be serious about it, probably the most important thing and the most valuable thing for them to focus on, but implementing additional programs and they probably exist. Like truthfully, I don't, I've done, you've asked me about like a couple of different like veteran things or veteran organizations. Mm -hmm. I've like kind of done a hard thing, a hard block with like the military. I don't like really Mm -hmm. play the game anymore or like even associate which like i'm hopeful that that'll change in the future but uh but like maybe there are programs that exist that all also incorporate some form of like emotional intelligence uh or emotional growth programs as these guys exit because like i didn't have the tools and you see how that like <laughs> how that ended Spiraled. up uh yeah it was gnarly and it's crazy too because i left with this idea i was like I'll, i won't be a statistic are you kidding me Like I'm big and bad and like untouchable and that all changed in a matter of like weeks. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I really don't have the answer to that, but I think exposure or like, uh, just the education that's happening now, which I think, you know, with the social media, with social media, it's become a lot easier to access like really valuable tools. Uh, the information is, is proliferating the military community, at least from what I see. And so I'm hopeful that, that, you know, there's more knowledge and more information and even more uh, resources available to veterans every single day. 
Yeah, I mean, even with this program that my buddy... Hello, everyone. Uh, First of all, yeah, I'd like to thank you for tuning like in to the Integrative Thoughts like, Podcast. Yeah, let's, let's take this I am your host, Matt Kaufman. Potentially and through this platform, I, I plan yeah, on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. I mean, it's unbelievable. I think it's like 22 or 40 a day, or I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's like we've been talking for a half hour there's probably been one or two like it's it's, it's just yeah it's bizarre yeah i was lucky enough to lead um so like my day job is i, I run a, a fitness business holistic wellness coaching business and uh i was lucky enough to lead pt or like physical training every day at last year's military influencer conference and the term influencer has like a weird connotation but but it's not like social media influencer it's like people of influence in the military and veteran communities come to this event it was in Las Vegas last year. And a lot of it is like panel discussions on, you know, how we can improve care for vets after service or like, or like, you know, a myriad of things um, pertaining to, to veterans and their ability to be successful after service. And a large majority of the panels this past year centered around the use of psychedelics uh, and alternative means of therapy to help. I mean, there's no way to cure the problem, but to help, you know, improve where we stand currently with with veteran mental health care and uh it was really incredible to see the like the alignment across generations across branches across like by and large net positive experience for like the proliferation of psychedelic use for veterans and i learned so much about what's already happening and it's such an incredible thing to see because i accessed psychedelics through a non-veteran avenue Mm-hmm. Like I was just a dude in Southern California who had a bunch of friends who were already experimenting, and then through my th- through therapy and through a network of people who were far more experienced than I was, I I was able to experiment myself and 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 you know find some things that were incredibly valuable. Psilocybin specifically has has saved my life. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before we get into the psychedelic piece, you've, you've touched on ther- therapy a few times. So yeah. What does, did therapy do for you? And is there a specific type of therapy you recommend? Let's get into yes. therapy a bit. Yeah. So um, I have tried several different types uh, in the first couple months of my therapy experiment. I was like, okay, I need to sort out which one is the best one. So I'm going to like go to a bunch of different introduction appointments with a bunch of different modalities and sort out what feels the best at the end of the day uh kind of like dating i ended up choosing the therapist that i felt most aligned with not the therapy modality but just the person that i felt i felt seen by uh her name is sarah baldwin she's a practitioner here in, in beverly hills um but the work that she does and i didn't know this at the time i didn't have any knowledge of this work but it's called somatic healing uh, or polyvagal theory is 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 what we do. Um, there's a book called Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 
um, she is basically we we practice uh, learning how to self-regulate in moments of activation, uh, and and so the work that I do is uh, incredibly important for me because I'm generally anxious and I'm generally all over the place and I'm generally activated. Um, and it's been a really cool practice for me to like one acknowledge when I'm feeling out of sorts, and then two being able to implement these practices or tools that we've worked on for the last five years and actually see a positive result. Um, it it's also like pretty serendipitous that that work aligns almost perfectly with the breath work that I do. So I, I my primary work at the moment is I coach breath work and I lead people through breath work and we incorporate ice. Um, so the traditional contrast would be temperature, hot and cold. And I'm really interested and excited by this contrast of control. So active and passive. If you look at the active uh, components of healing, it could be physical fitness. It could be a breath practice. It could be your therapy work that you do with a practitioner. It could be you actively going out and engaging with people that you're close with in a support group. Uh, And if you look at the passive means, it could be something like experiencing an exposure therapy, like hot, cold, even psychedelics. It could be something like uh, meditative practice in general, more passive. And I love the interplay of the two. My two favorites are are cold as a passive activity and then breath as, as an active one. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's, all, it's all good. I, I loved it. Yeah. I, I do want to touch on the, uh, because I told you about my one buddy who has had some depressive episodes and yeah. you know, was close to attempting himself he he yeah. loved the um the other podcast that you did that we talked about the 38 challenge that was called yeah yeah, yeah it's a great podcast you did if anyone's listening check that out too because that that organization too i'm gonna plug that organization really quickly because um it's a very interesting story so so matt the the reason for that organization is a army or a, excuse me a, a marine officer um we were in the same year group we did the same exact job. We worked in the same communities. Uh, we both attempted suicide. He was successful. Uh, I was not. I'm, I'm lucky to still be here, but he he ended up taking his own life. And his younger brother, brother Brant, who now runs that organization, is now working to, one, honor his memory, but then also uh, in, in uh, partnership with the Concussion Legacy Foundation, is working to uh, you know raise money for research and and improved practices for for concussion care and then also veteran and men's mental health awareness um so i've got this weird like little brother thing with him where i feel like i'm like now stepping in as the new version of matt which i'm definitely not him but uh i feel connected to that organization in a way that i don't feel connected to any other and so it's just a fantastic he's doing unbelievable work yeah he's like 20 he's like 22 Oh, he's only 22. Yeah. I mean, I've listened yeah. to that show multiple times before we were supposed to have the first episode. And then I listened to it again yeah. yesterday and today just to yeah. kind of, you know, refresh my memory on it. And Dude, he's a superstar. I, yeah, he did a great job. You guys really went deep. And I sent that when I originally heard it, I sent it to my buddy who had had the yeah. suicidal thoughts. And yeah. he loved the the practice of writing his younger self like letters that you spoke yeah. about in there. So let's touch yeah. on that. Cause he said that I, I haven't tried that yet, but my, my buddy, um, he, he really said that that did, had some valuable, uh, do you want to yeah. see something here? Hold on. Look at this. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the guy I write to. <laughs> Um, I keep, 
I keep it in my journal. Yeah. Um, that's me and my younger sister where I'm like six and she's five or I'm seven and she's six. But, uh, yeah. So, um, a, a part of my initial step into the somatic healing world was doing some like inner child work. Um, there's an aspect of, of my life now where I, I feel like I, I'm still this like wounded child who never really got the love that he wanted from his mom. Um, and so I show up in, in ways in my life now today as an adult where I feel like a young little kid who's like unsure of what's going to happen next or like feeling neglected or like any number of like negative things. And so um, a practice that my therapist and I started about five years ago, and I still do it almost every day, is to have a physical picture of yourself as a young kid in an age where you feel like most, uh, I don't want to use the term neglected because that's not a thing everyone experiences, but like in a time where you feel most triggered or you feel most uh, small. And so for me, that's around like six or seven. And so I have this photo of myself and every day I write him a letter and I say, Hey, little Ben, you know, you get, just get to be a kid today. Like you don't have to worry about any of the stressors of the adult world because like me, adult Ben is going to take care of that. So you just get to be a kid. You get to like go and play. Mom's not here. Dad's not here. You don't have to worry about anything being wrong. You're not in trouble. Like nothing has happened. Uh, everything that you're feeling is fine though, but like nothing bad has happened. And uh, if there is ever a scenario where everyone leaves, which is like a thing that I was always terrified of as a kid, if everyone leaves you, that's fine because adult Ben, me, I've got you. And uh, so a thing, I, I do that every day. And I usually have some sort of mantra that I write you know, at the end of it or at the beginning, um, that changes periodically. Um, for me right now, that's if happiness doesn't exist here, it doesn't exist anywhere. Um, and so it's an opportunity to be grat grateful. Um, I think it goes in, in steps. Presence comes first, gratitude second, and then excitement. Um, and so you can find that in the work that I do with breath or even with ice. There's always like this three-step process. First, we get present. Second, we get incredibly grateful for the things that are here with us right now. And then third, we get excited about what's to come. Because I think people lack a lot of excitement or a lot of hope for things. Um, and it's not just looking forward to the weekend or whatever it is, but like excitement for like the day that you're having right now. Um, and it's been so valuable. Um, one, just to write. Like I think that like writing is so neglected. Like just getting the things out of your head and onto paper, regardless of what comes out, is like just an incredibly valuable practice. Um, but yeah, this, this inner child work, I would recommend it to anybody, uh, even if you don't necessarily feel like there was anything wrong or there is anything wrong, but connecting with that different version of yourself, uh, or that younger version of yourself is a really empowering tool. Um, just to like feel one connected, but then also just, just powerful in your life as an adult. I think a lot of people, uh, deal with some imposter syndrome or like, you know, lack confidence or lack uh, the energy to be the person that they think that they need to be in their life. And it's like, you're already that person. You're already that thing, you know? 100%. So. I, I kind of like imposter syndrome. I have it half the times when I show up to these shows, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, I hate it. Who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? But then yeah. I show up and I ask the questions that I prepared. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like, it's, 
if 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 not me, then who? You know, like who? Like that's someone's got to step that's up to good. the plate, and yeah. and someone's got to ask hard questions and really get into the nitty gritty. And there's plenty of other podcasts doing it. I'm just trying to build my little community and spread my little word of what I have, and that's yeah. all fine. And I like that you talk about the childhood stuff because you also spoke about how it was for on the outside. If you like before you done a lot of inner work to you, it was pretty normal, like right picket fence, you know, middle, middle class yeah. family or whatever, had everything yeah. wanted, had experiences. Yeah. But I think the modern world has kind of the way it's set up. It's not the same, you know, mom goes to work, mom's gone. You have babysitters and this type of thing is not like what we're, you know, used to ancestrally, you would have just been with right. mom and the tribe like all day, every day and felt loved and felt held. And now mom goes to work and dad goes to work or, or mom might even stay home, but dad's gone all day, like yeah. super grinding 12 hours a day to support the whole family. I yeah. mean, there's, it's not like back in the day where, you know, one, one little job would, would give you all the vacations in the home and everything that you needed. So we're kind yeah. of pushed into this like financial position where the emotional and the caring needs of the children kind of come second to how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to feed the family? And yeah. so I think everybody probably has some sort of kind of neglect, even if it's at like a small level, like you said, not capital T, like me, I didn't have any father around. My mom was working all the time. So I was like getting yeah. past the babysitters. That's like probably capital T neglect, sure. you know, but yeah. like there's probably little T's for a lot of people, the little T for trauma, like where they have these little micro traumas of like, maybe you were like mom left for seven hours and, but you felt neglected and you were only like one years old, but you're yeah. still maybe sitting there that you don't realize. And I think psychedelics sure. help a lot with this, but also, you know, probably writing to yourself definitely yeah. would probably, you know, kind of be a catalyst to explore some of that. My, my biggest takeaway from psychedelic use has been an appreciation for, for other people's experience. And, you know, it's like, you could just call that empathy, I guess. But, mm -hmm. but my biggest, the biggest thing I've learned is like, everyone is just doing their best. I know that's kind of like a cliched thing, but, uh, I had a moment, uh, during an ayahuasca experience. And I know that's like the most cliche Los Angeles thing ever, but like, yeah, I had a moment during an ayahuasca experience <laughs> where, um, I just realized that my mother is a young girl who never got the love that she needed. And now she's just trying to do her best as an adult girl <laughs> who never got the love that she needed. And so it would be really, it would be really interesting to have someone who never really received the love that they needed to have them give the love that another person might need. It's like, based on her experience, why would I expect anything other than what I've received. And like, she's incredibly loving and she's a wonderful person. It's just like, there were moments throughout my life where like the things that I really needed deep down, like weren't provided. And that's like, not her fault. It's not my fault. It's just like how the thing goes. And, uh, and you said it earlier, I think maybe before we were recording, but it's like people who've like had sat with, you know, plant medicine or had psychedelic experiences are like very open to sharing, you know, the things that have happened to them or their experience. And it's like, if I could just share with other people that like nothing that anyone does to you is a, is because of you. <laughs> like that's such a freeing thing to acknowledge. Like everyone is just out there doing the best that they possibly can with the set of skills and tools that they have available to them. And like the sooner you realize that like 
that's the case, then like there's, I know it doesn't change anything that's happened or it doesn't change how you've experienced anything in the moment. But like now I, as an adult, have this perspective where I'm like, okay, I can have some empathy and a little bit of grace for, for that other person. And then also for myself. And now I can just, um, my two favorite things, it's from this guy, Alfred Adler. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Adlerian mm. philosophy, but so um, basically acknowledging the things that have happened in the past, but then getting really excited about the fact that you're in control of deciding a future worth living. And then also you are the one that gets to take the right next active step in the direction of that future. And so it's like that paired with this new empathy or this new awareness around like, you know, my mom or whoever the person that I feel wronged me, uh, you know, they, they're just doing the best that they can. And like, because of that, it's okay. I'm not, I'm the person that I am now, but then I get to like, choose what I want to do next and then make the right, next right step. Like that's so empowering. Similar like writing to my younger self and being like, no, I am the adult. You're the kid. Like we're going to be just fine. <laughs> and it's like choosing that ne next right active step. The thing that I tell everyone is like physical fitness is, is probably that next right active step. We didn't talk about it, but during my times of like extreme depression and suicidal, you know, ideation and then attempt, uh, the thing that I lost in my life was my physical fitness. I was in a place where I wasn't active in the way that I had been for my entire life. And if, if I really sit back and look, there were a couple things that were a couple really important things that were missing. And the first one was physical fitness. I just neglected yeah, the, the my, my physical is. health. Yeah. Yeah. So you better believe that that will never leave my life. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to, I mean, I felt, I felt that too. Like I said, with the, with the Lyme disease and everything yeah. and for the childhood trauma, I kind of had the same revelation during a uh, psilocybin experience with yeah. really realizing like how stressful my mom's upbringing was. Like my yeah. grandpa could be abusive and, yeah. and it, it the, the household was so abusive actually. Um, I didn't know this as a kid, but you know, you learn stuff as you get older, your family starts to tell you like my grandmother left all of her kids and just ran away. So think about how unmotherly that is. That means that the, the, the environment was so stressful. She yeah. felt that the only way for her to get out was even without the kids. Cause usually the mom's yeah. leaving with the kids, right? Yep. She left all the kids with my grandfather and then yeah. think of the stress. He's already maybe a little abusive. Now think of the stress that he has. He needs to provide for all five of these kids. He's got no one there. Doesn't have a and partner. Then, yeah. Doesn't have a partner to take care of the kids. And you know, it might've been his fault because of the, you know, how stern he was. He's a West Virginia kind of farm boy, you know, and I think that's yeah. kind of built into him. But just think about like, how could I turn around and expect her to give me every little emotional piece that I needed when she really didn't receive it herself? I had the, kind of the same revelation yeah. during a psilocybin ceremony. Like she was at every sports game, always took me to practice. Yeah. I never needed anything. She would just work. If, she, if I needed something, she would work. Like she just, she made it happen, but she just did the best that she really could. And Totally. If people could understand that a little bit more, that their life would be so much more free. It would just be like, ah, like it's like a, like you get out of them psychedelic ceremonies when you have them revelations and you go, ah, like, wow. Okay. Like it did happen to me, but I don't have yeah. to, like, I don't have to hold on to it. You know, we get, we get stuck in these like thought patterns or like stuck inside of a narrative that we've created. <laughs> And that is the coolest part about psychedelic use, uh, you know, in a therapeutic setting or in like a microdosing type setting where it's like over time, it's like cumulative and your ability to like break away from that narrative. Like that is such an incredible asset to the practice 
where it's like, if I no longer have to be like shackled by this story that I tell myself, like, or this belief that I might hold, like, then I can do not just like the opposite, but like anything they talk about that. There's like the snowfall analogy where it's like, if you take the sled down the hill in the same path for I'm 32. So for 32 years, then you're going to run a rut in the snow and not be able to deviate from the path. Mm. You do, you know, an intentional psychedelic experience or a plant medicine journey or something. Maybe there's some new snowfall and it's not like, you know, you just don't ride that path anymore. You get to ride anywhere you want. And that's so cool. Like all of this is made up. (laughs) And that's like, that's like my favorite. That's my favorite new thing to think about is like, all of this is made up. It's all a construct. Like we've all, it's been built by humans. And it's like, you can build the thing that you'd want. Like you are in full control and you are fully capable and you are all the things that you need to be to build the life that you really want. And that could, you know, be your physical, mental, emotional health, your spiritual health. It could be something professional. It could be something relational. It could be whatever you want it to be. But like you're, you are fully capable, you, me, and anyone listening, like you're fully capable of doing that thing that you feel really compelled to do. Yeah, it seems as that's if such like a cool once thing. you release the, the those thoughts that we're talking about or whatever pattern that you're in, yeah, it, it's it's not gonna be, it's gonna be life changing, but it's not everything. But for some reason, like right. every time I have a psychedelic experience, I'm able to like break a bad habit, get in a better <laughs> routine. It's like it's like as soon as I yeah. release the baggage, then I go, okay, now I need to be in the gym X amount of hours a week, or now I need to keep my diet in control. Like, and yeah. it's like it's it's like a different perspective because you released all the dark kind of energy that was inside of you that was like, oh, well, whatever, I'll just binge eat tonight, or I'll I'll just yeah. you know have ten drinks tonight, and it's like yeah, it's almost like a rewire or something but it is definitely something that shifts you to where now you can make better decisions i believe yeah i've always felt like i leave a psychedelic experience a different person and whether that's true or not it doesn't really matter to me like if you know placebo (laughs) or otherwise doesn't really matter but i it's just been interesting because i leave an experience and i'm like oh i am a different person and this different person exists in a different way or exists in the way that i want to exist and there's this idea of like you know a lot of people talk about this but becoming the person that you're supposed to be or becoming the person that you want to be first and then because you are that new person all of the things that that person does are now things that you do um, I know James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about like, you're not just a guy that runs if you want to adopt a running practice. You are a runner now. And because you are a runner, you run. You know, you can apply that to anything. But I, I think it's been so interesting for me in terms of like breaking habits or like even removing alcohol from my life. You know, a psychedelic experience was incredibly integral in, in that process for me. And it's like, I left that experience and I was like, oh, I don't drink anymore. And like, whether that was me in control of that, or that was a function of, of the medicine, I'm not sure. But like, I left that experience. and I was like, Oh, I don't drink anymore. Like, it's not even a question. I don't dabble. I don't, there's, there is no uh, waffling. There's no back and forth. And I had tried to get, I had tried to remove alcohol from my life for five, five years, but it never worked. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, no, I just don't do that anymore. And so now two and a half years later, I still don't do that anymore. Uh, and we can, we, you know, like I said, we can say it was me, or we can say it was the the experience i'm not sure maybe it was both but uh i'm a different human and this different human doesn't consume alcohol and it's just such a cool thing and i think you could probably apply that to any domain in your life you know 
Yeah, absolutely. It was like microdosing LSD and the psilocybin ceremonies were basically the foundation of giving up like substances and alcohol, in my opinion. Yeah. I was already like trying, but it was like a little unsuccessful. I was like cutting yeah. back, but then I would get sucked into the party yeah. life like here and there. And yeah. once I had like the psychedelic experiences and then the microdosing of LSD and realizing how AA was kind of founded on, on LSD experiences and stuff like that. That really moved me to, and I, my wording did change for a long time. I was like, I just don't drink. Like I would go like yeah. six months and then maybe I would yeah. go out to a concert and have like two or three drinks. But like, I was like, I don't yeah. drink. Like people, you want to go out for, I'm like, I don't drink. So I'll come, yeah. but I'll be sober maybe, but like, I don't drink. And yeah. then now I've kind of gotten to this place where like, I can have a couple, like, you know, old fashioned and a glass of wine with a steak dinner and I don't spiral. I don't, yeah. it's like I've after so long and so much psychedelic use and the meditation and the yoga, like I really have gotten to the place that I feel like is even almost more freeing is yeah. where you are in control. Because I had a post about this, about like sobriety can be another form of addiction. You know, you tell yourself, I can never ingest another substance. I can never have another drink. Well, that is still signaling to your subconscious that you aren't in control. So you want to figure out a place where you've done enough work where I don't care if that substance is just a micro dose. You maybe you don't want to drink cause that that'll spiral you or you feel yeah. like it will, but the, what is the most freeing place and the best place to experience life? Everything the human condition has to offer is to be able to whatever, have a ceremony if that's what you want to do or to, yeah. um, you know, whatever, chew a nicotine pouch if you want to, or to have two drinks if you want to, but then not allow that to like, consume you and control you and to feel negatively about it like i don't feel negative about myself anymore if i have a cocktail and a glass of wine with a steak dinner enjoying sure. good conversation with my wife it's a beautiful yeah. thing so but i've done so much work to get to that place over the past five years to where now i feel comfortable in those situations so it's not like hey quit drinking for two weeks and then go back out there and try to rip it up yeah. like that's that, that's not going to work it's going to take yeah. a bunch of deep childhood trauma work, maybe psychedelics, maybe, I mean, I've done a million yoga classes. Yeah. I meditated for hours, you know, in the beginning, like, you know, a lot of work. Yeah. Well, I, and I, there's three things there uh, that I think are really <laughs> cool. But so for me, that experience of having a, a beautiful meal with a person that I care deeply about and sharing an alcoholic beverage, that's been the hardest thing for me because it, it mm -hmm. amplifies the positive aspects of that experience. It deepens the connection. It does all of the things that like alcohol is like all the good parts of alcohol exist yeah. in that container. Uh, I've always said for me, abstinence is not the best case scenario. Like it's not for the moment. It's the most optimal it allows me to operate at my highest capacity in the world. But like I often think about maybe there's a day where I'm able to incorporate, you know, a glass of wine at dinner with my partner. Like that would be unbelievable. I haven't done the work yet where that is a feasible choice. So like maybe there's a time later, but that's not for me yet, you know. Um, but I, I'm really excited about the opportunity to like learn and grow through the practice or through any of the, of the work that I'm doing, whether that's psychedelics or therapy or otherwise. But I do want to hit on... Um, you know, we've talked a lot about psychedelics here. And I talked earlier about like the active and passive, like the control metrics. And like, I want to get it really clear that like psychedelics aren't necessary. <laughs> they aren't needed. Uh, they are one of those passive means of, of work uh, that I, you know, I like to steer more towards the active 
So like the meditation, the breath work, the training where you can kind of control the aperture. I don't know if that's the right word, but you can like really control the intensity of your experience. Um, for a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of people who've experienced a lot of huge capital T trauma. And sometimes the psychedelic therapy and the psychedelic work brings on too much. Like I've experienced that myself uh, in some of my work where like I wasn't prepared for what happened next. And, you know, you're fine. You like nothing is permanent. You're fine. And you like, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately come back to something that's, that's, you know, closer to baseline or whatever it is. But uh, there have been, I'm thinking about a couple experiences in my life, one pretty recently where it's like, I wasn't ready to handle the intensity of that situation. And uh, had I done it differently, I wish it would have been less extreme or less, you know, uh, jarring or or whatever it is. Um, And so I always urge people to start with the passive measures. So it's like, if you didn't need a place to start, start with your physical fitness, start with an intentional breath practice, start with like a daily walk or whatever. Go to therapy, talk with somebody that can support you in your in your quest uh, for improved mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And then uh, if you feel so compelled and you have the support of people around you that know what they're doing, then introduction to psychedelics is probably an okay choice. But it's just I uh, I just wanted to say that before we <laughs> before we transition out of it, because like like I said earlier, they've been net positive for my life. Psilocybin changed my life. Uh, but it was psilocybin paired with breath work paired with cold exposure, paired with an intentional fitness practice, paired with the support of my therapist and paired with like all of my friends who believe in me, you know, yeah, it wasn't beautiful. just, it, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just me taking a bunch of mushrooms, you know, I say the same, I, you're yeah. speaking my language. Cause I talk yeah. about it being like, it's more than just the psychedelics, but it, yeah. it's a great piece. If you have a lot of other puzzle totally. pieces put together as well, totally. And I'll say this, like the breath work I've gotten basically, like psychedelic style experiences from breathwork and what yeah. as well and have changed things and felt very similar to like a psilocybin yeah. experience with some yeah. like altered state breathwork and you know different releases that the breathwork can bring upon and also for anybody who hasn't done a psychedelic experience if you do have never done like yoga or meditation or yeah. breathwork the psychedelic experience might actually be overwhelming because the control that you learn via the breath work and yoga and meditation and uh, all these the other things, if you don't have that portion down and you're not able to breathe through whatever comes up within a, you know, whether it's ayahuasca or psilocybin, you may have a very, very difficult time. But I had already done a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation and different things before I tried any like large dose of psilocybin. So yeah. I felt a little bit easier and more compelled to kind of navigate and bring myself back when it got a little traumatizing. Yeah. But for someone who's never done any of the work, that could really knock you off your baseline like yeah. for a long time. Like it, you yeah. might not come back as well as you think that you were going to. You could be kind of fucked up for a few weeks. Yeah. Or months, maybe. Yeah. Like, I, I have no way of knowing, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I yeah. feel I've heard some stories of people, like, not really being able to reintegrate after going down to the jungle and doing ayahuasca and stuff. And, you know, so the, I'm not going to say that there there is no, you know, negative consequences that could happen. I don't think you're going to die or anything, but it's just the, the reintegration and after what you've experienced might be so jarring you don't have a good coach or some kind of integration practice thereafter yeah. you might have a tough time well the integration is the most important part mm-hmm. it's like with any with any therapy practice or with any 
you know, with any of these practices, it's like your ability to transfer what you've learned and experienced into something usable and something valuable for your life moving forward. Like that's the most important part. And the quicker you can get it to subconscious, you know, without having to think about it. Like that's what I think about with like my therapy work. Like it's really cool to be able to like note when I'm feeling activated and use the tools to, to, you know, feel better in the moment. But like, wouldn't it be a really cool thing if I like didn't even have to note it? Like, okay, I had this experience and like my body just because of the volume of work that I've done up until this point, my body just decides to like do the things that it needs to do to calm down. Like I just instinctively take a deep breath or I like instinctively feel into my body. And that's like a very, that's a thing that can happen over time. Um, And it's similar with any of these practices, but like the goal is to be able to like take what you've learned and with the help of, of someone who's experienced, hopefully you're able to like, you know, work through what you've experienced and then get to a place where like, you're able to like exist better in your life or exist as a more complete version of yourself in your life. And, uh, and like, I've fucked that up a million times where I like didn't have the integration set up or I didn't have the support system set up or like, I didn't even know that that was a requirement, you know, very early on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I look back and I'm like, holy shit, I could have done so much more work, like valuable work had I had the support of someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah, I did the same thing, kind of just listened to some Tim Ferriss podcasts, listened <laughs> to Terrence McKenna. Next thing you know, I'm like taking five grams on the couch, so I highly yeah. unrec- unrecommended. <laughs> Still was positive for me. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. I just, you know, I had done a lot of other drugs. I was like, well, what's five grams yeah. of mushroom? What's the worst that's going to happen? But you can go through some experiences that if you don't have a, I had, you know, I have my wife I can talk to. I have people in my life that I've grown yeah. to close that I could at least express, you know, what happened. I know some other psychedelic coaches who have done, you know, decades worth of work if I need to make a yeah. phone call. So I had a little bit of support at least bare minimum, but yeah. you know, I would, I would recommend finding someone who could really guide you through that and stay with you afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it, it can be rough. So yeah, I'm just thinking we, about, I'm just thinking about my life and I'm like, yeah, you pre- just have somebody. <laughs> you definitely have somebody. Cool. I know we're running a little short on time. Why don't you tell us just like, so who's been today? What's the future look like? What are you, are you, um, have you conquered the depressive episodes? Do you still deal with them? How, how does that look for you today? Yeah, I haven't conquered anything. Um, <laughs> I am still recovering. Uh, I experience all of the same things that I experienced for my entire life. Uh, but now I have a toolkit that is far more robust than I ever had before. And so, like I said, I'm able to acknowledge when I'm feeling a certain way. Like I can put words to feelings, which I was not able to do before. And then I have a set of skills where I can, uh, you know, navigate those feelings. And, and for me, we didn't really get into it, but it's like all about taking the next right manageable step. So in a moment of uncertainty or in a moment of overwhelm or anxiety or depression or whatever it is, like the thing that I'm most committed to is doing the next right thing. And like, if you do one right thing, then you can do two. And then if you do two, you do three. And that just builds and builds and builds the way you, and, and I, you know, I try to simplify things as much as possible. And so it's like my, those are opportunities to build self-confidence for me. It's like when I'm feeling my most depressed and I don't want to get out of bed. Well, the next right step is to pull the covers off. Mm-hmm. And after I pull the covers off, like that is, that is the step. After I pull the covers off, I can just lay there for a second. And then like the next one is to put my right foot on the ground. And then after the right foot's down, the left one's going to follow. And it's just like those things just build and build and build. And it's, for me, it's been learning that like, 
And I think this is a case for a lot of high performers. You have this like lofty goal of where you should be or what you're going to, this like big, hairy, audacious like endpoint. And learning how to break things down into small manageable chunks has been so valuable. And so like, yes, I experience all the same things. Sometimes I'm compelled to do things that are bad. Uh, but now I know that I can eat that elephant one bite at a time and build a whole bunch of confidence along the way. And so the next time that I experience that, I know for sure that I can make the right choice. And like, that's all it is. And I've been able to like, outside of like the Ben, like the little Ben sphere, I've been able to create a life that supports me in being the most authentic, most valuable, uh, highest utility version of Ben possible. So I do the job that I absolutely love. So it's like, would my life be horrible if, or would it be worse if I was waking up to do a thing that I hated? Probably. So I created a scenario where the work that I do is the thing I love the most. I surround myself with people that support me unconditionally, which like wasn't always the case. So I've like created that scenario. And it's like, and now I'm like really excited about all the things that are coming next. And so it's like, uh, that took years and years and years, but it's like, I'm creating the conditions. Uh, you know, Michael Pollan talks about set and setting. Mm -hmm. I created the setting that's going to afford me the opportunity to be the best version of Ben every single day. And now it's all about working on the set or my mindset as I show up for those things. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful, man. And that's the way it should be. And I think we're all hopefully striving to get to that place, you know, where it's going to be difficult to kind of show up as the best version of you in like a job that you hate or a relationship that you hate or your community is yeah. kind of negative. So it's yeah. like, you know, and it's, it's, I, it's so, I hate saying it like that because it's so simplified because yeah. like, especially if you came out of like addiction or something like sure. surrounding yourself with better people, it's like, well, where are they? I've only been in the bar for the last yeah. decade. So it's like, none of this, none of this is easy. Head. None of this is easy. This is the hard. this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. <laughs> like and my life's been like kind of hard for like the last mm -hmm. little bit you know for the last mm -hmm. couple years this the process of like restructuring this thing and like actually getting clear about the things that i want has been the hardest thing of my entire life and it's and i'm so stoked about it mm -hmm. because like because of that process and because of the work i've done now i get to like lead other people through the same thing. Like, I'm sure that's how you feel in your life yeah. too. It's, you know, like the Ryan holiday, the obstacle is the way, you know, and yeah. it's, it's so little. It's so, I just like, even looking back like two, three years ago, I'm like, this is like, all, I'm, I'm almost where I wanted to be. And it's still, I have a lot of more work to do, but it's like, I'm getting closer little by little with each little business move I make or each podcast I do and connections I make. And, trying to get into the work that I'm doing. It's like, it, but it's, it's been so the vision has been there. Like since I got sober, like five so years most, ago and I'm so still most not even part. way there. It's the most you important know? part. Yeah. The vision and the clarity is what you have to see. And you have to say, what do I want my life to be? Do I want to sit here in this depression with these negative people with a poor community or do I just shift? And I moved across the country and I was, I was lonely. I was, you know, like I just got away from everybody. Cause that for me, changing environment was, was great, but yeah. it was also lonely. Cause I didn't know like how all my friends I had ever made were just like, I was like fun party guy. Like, let's go party. Let's meet girls or whatever. And you have to literally just shift out of everything. I meet people at the yoga studio or meet people. Like you got to yeah. just start doing things where you can try to find like a new community and it, it's not easy to build. Yeah, no, <clears throat> definitely not easy. But it's, a, it's so worth it.
And you hit the nail on the head. It's like the vision or like I call it the aim, but like that thing, the future that's worth living, like that has to be your guidepost and your beacon. And like you, you look to that. Like I have it written. I have a buzzword written on my mirror in my bathroom. I look at it every single day. Um, Like I am so committed to the things that I say that I want. And like, I think there's also an aspect of having grace for when it doesn't go the way that you planned. Because a younger version of Ben had this all or nothing mentality where it's like, oh, I failed at this thing. I'm just going to blow it all up. That could be a relationship. That could be something professional. That could be like uh, me and a thing that I'm chasing, you know, whatever. Uh, A failure would mean, oh, like that's an attack on my identity. I'm blowing this thing up. But having like a bit of a growth mindset around like, oh, this isn't always going to go the way that I planned recovery or any process is not linear and i'm excited if for the opportunity this show, to try you again take a second to really subscribe rate and review it for me also if you'd like so to like, know more information about combo like i said it's just been a challenging one process with me, i'm so excited for upcoming retreat information uh, which it's i really incredible to like meet people like you who are like generally on the show notes or dm me on instagram my handle over there is at integrated matt until next time in a positive way like i'm i'm really excited to to be a part of this yeah, it's amazing. You got to become unattached to the timelines for sure. I've noticed that. They don't it's exist. Gotta, it's a day, day by up. day thing. Just keep getting better and then it'll fall into place one day. The only way you blow it. This is coming from a dude who's tried to quit every single thing he's ever tried, even his own life. The only way you blow it is if you quit. Mm. So just keep going. That's powerful, brother. Well, let everyone know like how to find yeah. your work, how to find you on social media, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my Instagram or all my social media is Ben V Smith, B E N V E E S M I T H. Uh, the way that I interact with the public is more in like a fitness coaching context. So if you'd like to work with me, I have an app, it's called train with Ben. Uh, you can access it via my social media or at trainwithben.app. It's a very low cost, uh, opportunity to either do the strength and conditioning work that I do in the gym each week where there's a whole host of like foundation type programs for in gym at home, little body weight, some mobility, and then even a mindset section, which is kind of going to be the way that it transitions. I think ultimately uh, some breath work, a little bit of like perspective uh, shifting work. Uh, that's the stuff I'm really excited about. Um, I work uh, in other capacities. I coach musicians, touring musicians on the road. Uh, I have a small personal training business here in LA. So if you're interested in doing maybe some training, uh, you can reach out to me via social media, but, uh, but the primary way for the public to interact is, is through the app. Um, it's a really cool, low cost way to just like get stronger and feel better in your body. Um, and for right now, that's like the thing I'm most excited about. So, um, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, talk about that and talk about my experience. Uh, this has been really great. Thanks for coming on and being vulnerable, man. I think the world needs to hear it. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day, brother.